Ready to form Voltron! This is a job for Superman. Power Rangers! Right away, Michael. Autobots, transform! By the power of Grayskull! For the honor of Grayskull! I'm the Doctor. One of my most favorite shows when I was a kid was Voltron. The giant robot genre really struck me back then, and to this day is still my favorite genre of anime. The show's origins are almost as entertaining as the show itself. World Events Productions started out as a small independent TV station in St. Louis, Missouri. Looking to expand into the world of syndicated television, WEP staffers attended an international programming convention in Cannes, France, where they saw footage of some Japanese anime series that they thought that, once they translated and localized, would be a success here in the West. However, since 65 episodes would be needed to put their show in syndication, and most anime only runs from about 50 to 52 episodes, they had decided to combine more than one show. However, in my research, I cannot determine why they chose three rather than just two, unless they were trying to make sure that the whole series would run like twice a year, maybe? I'm not sure. Anyway, a tentative deal was made for WEP, World Events, to get three series from Toei Animation, Daltanius, Albigas, and Armored Fleet Dairuger 15, or XV. Depends on how they say it. But thanks to problems with the language barrier, in which they ended up referring to Daltanius as the Lion Toei ended up sending Beast King Golion instead. WEP ended up liking Golion better, decided to use it instead, and planned to create a syndication package consisting of three Voltron incarnations. Voltron 1 of the Near Universe from Die Ruger, which would be Vehicle Force Voltron. Voltron 2 of the Middle Universe from Albagas, which was going to be known as Gladiator Force Voltron, and Voltron 3 of the Far Universe from Go Lion, a.k.a. the Lion Force. Voltron. The Trilogy. Defenders of the Universe. The Voltron Trilogy. The adventure series that follows the interstellar heroics of three super robots who protect a group of daring young space pioneers. Voltron One, the magnificent mechanical wonder who is guardian of the near universe. Voltron Two, the intrepid protector of justice in the middle universe. Voltron Three, the spectacular super robot who battles the forces of evil in the far universe. The Voltron Trilogy. Today, featuring Voltron of the far universe.
Even though the three anime series were all unrelated, creative editing and writing would portray all Voltron carnations as coexisting within the same universe, and the fact that they were all created by the same animation studio at roughly the same time meant they looked similar enough that it would work uh, to combine them as one series. Now, according to legend, production on both Lion and Vehicle Voltron became at, began at the same time, but it was eventually decided to put Vehicle Voltron on hold for a bit and just focus on Lion Voltron. Presumably, they started work with Gladiator Voltron as well, but I haven't been able to find anything that stated that. Basically, production began with the producers going through and figuring out the plot to each episode, then giving the episode to Jameson Brewer to write a script that fit. The fact that the folks at WEP didn't know Japanese must have made this really interesting. Anyway, next up came the editing. Now, you may not know this, but Go Lion was not exactly what you would call family-friendly by U.S. standards. It was full of scenes depicting death, dismemberment, stabbing, crotch kicks, crotch punches, religious symbols, implied cannibalism, implied rape, and references to Japanese culture that had to be either edited out completely or worked around in some way. Remember, they couldn't just go in and digitally remove blood back then. In many cases, this actually gave them a bunch of extra time that they had to fill, so they were able to use scenes from Dai Ruger to help establish the shared universe. These were usually scenes of the galaxy garrison higher-ups at a meeting that were used over and over again, but just with different dialogue. Or it gave them a chance to reuse scenes from other episodes. And next time you watch, see if you can keep count of how many times an episode ends with a big celebration at the castle, and Allura gives Lance a kiss on the cheek. It happens several times. Anyway, next, they had to work on recording the dialogue. Now, with the limited budget that the show had, remember, this is a small TV station in Missouri. Yeah, they didn't have that much money to go with here. But with the limited budget the show had, they were able to hire five whole voice actors. No partials. Neil Ross was brought in as the voice of Keith, Pidge, and later would voice a character named Prince Bandor. Michael Bell was the voice of Lance and Sven. B.J. Ward, the only female in the cast, was the voice of Princess Allura, Witch Hagar, Nanny, and later Princess Rommel. Lenny Weinrib, Weinrib was the voice of Hunk and Prince Lotor. Peter Cullen, TV's Optimus Prime, was the voice of Koran, King Alfor, and he was the narrator of the series. And Jack Angel was the voice of King's Archon and Yorak. All of them also provided voices for various other characters as they appeared in the series, including the men having to voice females on several occasions with rather humorous results. The music, including the awesome theme song, was done by John Peterson. On September 10th, 1984, Voltron Defender of the Universe premiered to the world, reaching 65% of U.S. households and becoming a phenomenon. This was bolstered by the show being one of the first to be recorded in stereo, so television retailers made sure to tune into the show to show off their new stereo TVs they were trying to sell. From days of long ago, from uncharted regions of the universe, comes a legend. The legend of Voltron, defender of the universe. A mighty robot, loved by good, feared by evil. As Voltron's legend grew, peace settled across the galaxy. On planet Earth, a galaxy alliance was formed 
Together with the good planets of the solar system, they maintained peace throughout the universe until a new horrible menace threatened the galaxy. Voltron was needed once more. This is the story of the super force of Space Explorers. Specially trained and sent by the Alliance to bring back Voltron, Defender of the Universe. This series begins with five Space Explorers. Sven, Lance, Hunk, Pidge, and their commander, Keith, being sent to the planet Eris by the Galaxy Alliance. The planet has been under constant attack by King Zarkon and his forces of doom, and our heroes have been sent to find and revive the legendary Voltron to save the day. But upon their arrival, they are immediately captured and sent to planet Doom to participate in the gladiatorial games, where Zarkon's slaves are forced to fight against powerful monsters called Robeasts. After proving that sleeping is a valid excuse to postpone their fight, they manage to escape. It's a long shot, but worth it. You'll have to work very fast and quietly, Hunk. Sven and Lance, you take turns standing guard at the door. Pidge, you get that rope they had us tied up with when we came in. Nobody can keep us in a dingy hole like this. We're space explorers, and we need space. After proving that sleeping is a valid excuse to postpone their fight, they escape for their, from their cell, steal a space cruiser, which actually was the slave ship that brought them to the planet, and head for Eris. But Yorak, Zarkon's force commander, manages to shoot them down. However, a beam of light coming from a lion statue at a castle on Eris manages to slow their crash long enough for Keith to tell everyone the legend of Voltron. And according to the legend, Voltron was the most powerful defender of justice in the far universe. He was invincible! Voltron was terrific! He put those evil robots out of business for good, but Zarkon had one last trick up his sleeve. He's got this witch, Hagar, and she disguised herself as a beautiful goddess and went up into space. When Voltron came nearer, she placed a curse on him. But she couldn't destroy him completely. The old witch broke Voltron up into five parts. Each part a robot lion. If we could discover the secret of the lions, we could bring those five lions out of their hidden dens. They'd all come together and attach somehow, just like the legend says. Two would make the legs, two the arms and body, and one lion would become the robot's head. Then we'd have Voltron, defender of the universe to help us, and to help the people of Eris fight the evil Zarkon. I don't know where we're gonna land, but if we can find our way back to that palace and locate Voltron, we got it made. 
Planet Eris, here we come! However, the ship is still coming in a little too fast, so they have to eject, and manage to safely make it to the surface, where they're pretty much immediately attacked by the locals throwing spears at them. Successfully avoiding that problem, they head towards the forest in the direction of the castle, grabbing some of those spears to keep, you know, for defensive weapons. While they're in this forest, a mysterious fog rolls in, preventing Yurek and company from being able to spot them from overhead. They eventually make it to the castle, where they meet some space mice, and are attacked by the royal vizier, Koran. We learn that the only surviving member of the royal family is Princess Alora, and she's glad to have more people around. After they explain why they're there, Koran tells the Voltron legend again, because we're in the second episode, so, you know, gotta reiterate, but adds some new info. Basically, the robot lions landed on different parts of Eris, and the Erusians built secret tunnels to them from the castle. Koran leads everyone to the command center of the castle where they are given Erusian military uniforms and rebranded as the Voltron Force. However, to operate the lions, they need the keys, which they have placed in King Outforce's tomb, as you do. Yorak has picked this point in time to start attacking in order to flush out the heroes, so Pidge takes it upon himself to keep them busy while the others get the keys. So they change back to their normal clothes for some reason and head down to the tomb where they find only four keys. And this is not a bad editing job from the Japanese show. They actually change back into their regular clothes to go to the tomb. It's weird. Anyway, outside, Pidge is quickly overwhelmed by Yorak's fleet and has to be saved by some locals, but the others manage to activate the red, green, blue, and yellow lions, using them to take out Yorak's troops. Unfortunately, Hagar took one of the robies from earlier, enhanced it with her magic, and sent it to Eris, where it wakes up and thrashes the Voltron force. Meanwhile, the locals manage to help Pidge back to the castle, where he runs into those space mice again, before returning to castle control. The others wake up and return to the castle, and they set about finding the last key, which it turns out had been taken by the mice because it was so shiny. With the final key in hand, they take all five lions out to tackle the rope beast, but it is still too strong for them. So, they have to form Voltron. then they make short work of the Robeast. And that's where it ends. It just ends with Voltron standing there saying, yes, we won. Well, actually, Voltron doesn't say that. And he doesn't have that weird accent, but you know what I mean. The next episode has another Robeast attack, but while the Voltron force is busy with it, Yorak attacks the castle and basically destroys it. However, 
King Alfor had a backup plan, and from out of that rubble rises a brand new shiny futuristic castle, complete with weapons that Allura uses to help Voltron. And we find out later, it's also it can be a space-going vessel, which is pretty cool. This provides the team with a second win, and they manage to defeat the Robeast. The first arc of the series ends with yet another Yurak attack that is stopped by Voltron, but really just covers up Hagar's arrival on Eris. She manages to lure Sven away from the others, and attacks him, leaving him severely injured, with one of the first signs of blood that you'll see on the show that couldn't be edited out. He ends up having to be sent to a medical facility on another planet, which leaves the Voltron force unable to form Voltron when another Robeast attacks. Fortunately, they're able to lure it into a lava pit which destroys it, but they realize they won't always be that lucky and they need to find another pilot. Thus begins the next arc, in which Laura has to prove to herself and the others that she can take over for Sven as the pilot of Blue Lion. Following that, Zarkon's son, Prince Lotor, shows up, turns Yorak into a robeast, and uses him to keep the others busy while he duels with Keith. He has to cheat to keep from losing, and leaves Keith badly injured, but not too injured that he can't get back to the castle, take Black Lion to the others, form Voltron, and they manage to destroy Yurak. However, in all of that, Lotor has met Allura and falls for her. The rest of the series involves Zarkon, Hagar, and Lotor secretly planning to take each other out, while also attacking Eris to try to destroy Voltron, as well as conquering other planets as well. It's a lot of stuff going on. There's also an episode in which Pidge's home planet of Balto blows up, which leaves him and his brother Chip, a member of the vehicle Voltron Force, as the only remaining survivors of the planet. Eventually, Sven returns and helps the Voltron Force as Zarkon becomes a Ropeast and later ends up defeating Lotor himself. Now, before I get into what came next, let's look at some of the big differences between Golion and Voltron, and I will keep using the Americanized names here for the most part to avoid confusion. So, in the first episode, the story begins with the fall of Golion. The whole legend story is a little different and is told at the beginning of the episode. And since it's in Japanese and I don't have subtitles on an audio podcast, I'll go ahead and tell you the story. Golion was a sentient being who destroyed demons and hell beasts, and because he never lost, became far too proud for his own good. So a goddess cast a spell upon him, causing him to split into five robot lions. Next up, our heroes are still space explorers, but instead of being sent to Eris, they're actually returning from exploring back to Earth to find out that it has been decimated by nuclear war, complete with imagery of people, including babies, burning to death. Zarkon's forces are there looking for survivors. They don't find any, really, but capture our heroes anyway, thanks to the tractor beam. The rest of the story plays pretty much the same, except with a lot more violence, including one, one of the slaves getting hit so hard in the back of the head by a row beast that his eyes pop out. The other difference is that since the legend of Golion was told at the beginning of the episode, Keith doesn't have to reiterate that whole story as they descend down to Eris. In fact, when Koran tells the story later on, that's the first time these guys have ever heard of Golion. The next big change is that instead of Sven being severely injured by Hagar and sent to another planet to recover, he's actually killed, and the episode ends with what is essentially his funeral. Remember when I mentioned Pidge's home planet blowing up? Well, that's actually Earth in Golion, and its destruction leaves the male portion of the team as orphans. And, rather than coming back later, it's actually Sven's brother that we get later, who at the end of the series manages to kill Lotor, but also dies in the process. Also, Nanny and Hagar are killed on screen rather than just disappearing. 
I personally have found that watching Voltron is actually kind of hard to do after watching Go Lion, and that Go Lion holds up a little better due to the darker tone and the deeper issues. But I don't know, I still have a soft spot for Voltron too, so. Anyway, after exhausting the run of Lion Force episodes, the series switched to the Vehicle Voltron series. And apparently there was no announcement or fanfare about this changeover. It's just one day you're watching them defeat Lotor, and the next day you've got a lot of space-going vessels, big spaceships, different villains, different heroes, different Voltron. From days of long ago, from uncharted regions of the universe, comes a legend. The legend of Voltron, defender of the universe. A mighty robot, loved by good, feared by evil. As Voltron's legend grew, peace settled across the galaxy. On planet Earth, a galaxy alliance was formed. Together with the good planets of the solar system, they maintained peace throughout the universe. Until a new horrible menace threatened the galaxy. Voltron was needed once more. This is the story of the super force of space explorers. Entrusted by the Alliance with the ancient secret of how to assemble Voltron. Anyway, the story on this series is a little easier to summarize. Basically, Earth is overcrowded, so the Galaxy Alliance has sent out crews to find new planets to colonize. This crew includes 15 pilots and their exploration vehicles. They are broken down into three teams of five. The air team, led by Jeff, voiced by Neil Ross. The land team, led by Cliff, voiced by Lenny Wainrib and the C-Team, led by Crick, voiced by Michael Bell. These teams could combine their vehicles into three larger vehicles, or, if necessary, all 15 could combine into Voltron. Even though those space pirates, the Drools, have called off their attack on planet Earth, I want you to conduct this exercise as if it were the real thing. Fortunately, the garrison robot tanks and cruisers were able to chase the Drools away today, but we may not be so lucky next time. Okay, teams? Begin your maneuvers. Let's get them! Here comes Voltron! Form feet and legs! Form arms and torso! And I'll form the head! Guys of the galaxies, beware! The defender of the universe is here! At first, this version of Voltron could only operate for five minutes before it would run out of nuclear energy. But this was soon forgotten, especially since the Japanese version of the show doesn't have this at all. During this exploration, they run into the Drool Empire, who are also trying to colonize and are at war with the Galaxy Alliance and are trying to stop them. This series is more cerebral than the Lion Force Voltron, as there are many times where both sides debate amongst themselves and with each other about several issues. Not that this series doesn't have action, just not as much as the previous series. In fact, 
I have heard this show being compared as more of a Star Trek level show, where the Lion Voltron series is more of a Star Wars type show. I mean, it's not exact, obviously, but that's how I've seen it as compared as far as the action goes. The combination of this, as well as the giant cast of characters, may have been what led to the vehicle series losing viewers. A lot of fans, as they've gotten older, have gotten more of an appreciation for, Voltron, for Vehicle Voltron, but for kids, it just wasn't the same. Because of this loss of viewership, plans to adapt Albigas as the Gladiator Voltron were completely dropped. Instead, WEP worked with Toei to create new episodes of the Lion Force series. These episodes pretended that the end of Go Lion didn't actually happen. Zarkon's back, Hagar's fine, Lotor changed his gloves, Zarkon gets a new force commander named Cossack, because we're in the Cold War, I guess, and Lotor gets what I guess was supposed to be like a new love interest in Queen Merla, but he's still more interested in Allura, so it's more of a one-way street for that. This also allowed the cast of the Lion Force series to interact with Galaxy Alliance officials on screen, and gave us one last instance of Sven piloting the Blue Lion. To bring an end to the whole shebang, they created a special movie called Fleet of Doom, which was billed as a special team-up movie, but is mostly a Lion Force story with the Vehicle Force kind of added on at the end. However, you do get to see both Voltrons fight side-by-side side against the Combiner Robies piloted by Lotor. This extra season and the special were animated by a Korean animation company that has, was a notable step down in animation quality compared to the original shows, especially since they kept reusing stock footage of them heading to the Lions, activating the Lions, forming Voltron, and forming the Blazing Sword. And they were all mixed in with the subpar footage. They also weren't great about following the model sheets, made some arbitrary changes like darkening Allura's hair and Koran's hair and giving Lotor black gloves instead of white gloves. Now, for the next 11 years or so, Voltron lived a quiet life in syndication, including on USA's Cartoon Express. In 1997, perhaps to garner interest in Voltron, the second season of Lion Force was repackaged as The New Adventures of Voltron. The series included the classic intro, but with a new narration to correspond to the new series title, and over the course of the season, parts of the opening were actually replaced with CG animation until the entire intro was CGI by the end of the season. The commercial bumpers also transitioned from traditional animation to CGI as well. Here's what the intro might have sounded like. From days of long ago, from uncharted regions of the universe, comes a legend. The legend of Voltron. A mighty robot, loved by good, feared by evil. As Voltron's legend grew, peace settled across the galaxy. On planet Earth, a galaxy alliance was formed. Together with the good planets of the solar system, they maintained peace throughout the universe. Until a new horrible menace threatened the galaxy. Voltron was needed once more. This is the story of a super force of space explorers. Specially trained and sent by the Alliance to bring back Voltron. This is the new adventures of Voltron. Why were these episodes selected? 
Well, it may have been that writer Mark Handler had been one of the main writers for that, those episodes, and he was currently hard at work as the head writer and producer on a new Voltron series. It may also have been that the earlier Lion Force episodes were in the process of being licensed for use on Cartoon Network's new Toonami block. Either way, this series only lasted one season until it was replaced by a new show. From days of long ago, from uncharted regions of the universe, comes a legend. The legend of Voltron, a mighty robot, loved by good, feared by evil. As Voltron's legend grew, peace settled across the galaxy. But then the evil Prince Lotor escaped from his prison in deep space. He formed a secret alliance with Hagar, mistress of dark magic, and together they summoned awesome forces of fear and destruction, threatening the universe with new, horrible menaces. Voltron was needed once again. Now comes the story of a super force of space explorers, specially trained and sent by the highest echelon of the Galaxy Alliance to bring back Voltron. This is Voltron, the third dimension. With the popularity of movies like Toy Story and such shows as Reboot and Beast Wars, CG animation became the new cool way to create TV shows. Voltron did one better by using an early form of motion capture to try to give everyone natural movements. As I mentioned, Mark Handler returned to Voltron and much of the original cast returned as well. Unfortunately, Lenny Wenrib had passed away by this point, and for reasons, uh, Peter Cullen and Jack Angel did not return. So Tim Curry, so Tim Curry was brought in to voice Lotor and King Alfor. Kevin Michael Richardson voiced King Zarkon and Hunk and took over as the narrator. And Michael Bell continued as Lance, but also took over the voice of Coran. And Billy West was brought in to voice Pitch and a few others. The series picks up five years after the end of the original series and shows a different version of Lotor's defeat that does not involve Sven in any way. Planet Doom is destroyed, the Castle Doom and Hagar disappear into the Dream Dimension. Lotor is severely injured, losing an arm, half his body, and half his face. This isn't shown, but the missing parts do get replaced with machinery, making him a cyborg now, which actually makes him a lot angrier than what we saw previously. Zarkon, having seen what has happened to his son, has suddenly had a change of heart, and is now a member of the Galaxy Alliance. In an effort to save money by not having to create CG models with all the members of the Galaxy Alliance, the Alliance is now run by Amalgamus, a robot who sounds a lot like C-3PO, and is the amalgamation of all the leaders of the Alliance planets, and a real pain in the butt. After Lotor is repaired, he's found guilty of his war crimes and is sentenced to life in prison. Meanwhile, with their mission accomplished, the Lions were retired and the Voltron Force returned to normal lives, so somewhat. Lance became a stunt pilot, Keith returned to his duties as an Alliance officer, Alora and Alora resumed her royal duties. But after five years, Lotor escaped, reunited with Hagar, and became the galaxy's most wanted criminal. Over the course of the first season, Lotor and Hagar attack with evil plans and rather simple-looking robies, while Amalgamus keeps trying to use diplomacy rather than letting Voltron save the day. The safety of the galaxy has been threatened again. Five space explorers and their five awesome lions are called upon to form Voltron. Keith, the leader, pilot of Black Lion, Alora, Princess of Aris, pilot of Blue Lion, Hunk, the strongman, 
Pilot of Yellow Lion, Pidge, the computer expert. Pilot of Green Lion, and Lance, the rebellious daredevil pilot of Red Lion. These lions must once again battle Prince Lotor, Witch Hagar, and their forces of doom, who want nothing more than to destroy all that is good. The Galaxy Alliance, under the leadership of Amalgamus and the reformed King Zarkon, have called these great pilots and their robot lions together again to form Voltron, the third dimension. And then Voltron has to save the day, making Amalgamus look like a chump, but Amalgamus never seems to learn his lesson. At one point, Lotor finds the legendary Dracotron, basically Voltron, but made of robot dragons instead of lions and sentient instead of being piloted. Uh, also, Amalgamus tries to replace the Voltron force with robot pilots, revealing that the lions choose their pilots and form a bond with them. And Lance and Keith bicker a lot. The first season ends with Zarkon revealed to still be a villain and the lions destroyed. Since the entire series has been about magic and the spirit of the lions, the second season begins with what is basically the lion's spirits returning to Eris and eventually kind of solidify. It's not really clear, but they kind of solidify becoming the lions again and allowing the Voltron force to pilot them again. And they're able to bring back Voltron. Time to form Voltron, team. Activate interlock. Dynatherms connected. Infracells up. Mega thrusters are go! Let's go, go Voltron time they've got some new attacks such as blazing blasters and a blazing bow. This season also leads to them discovering a special dimensional portal that allows them to cross over into other dimensions. When they do this, the lions transform into stealth lions, which in turn can combine to form Stealth Voltron. Let's form Stealth Voltron. Activate interdimensional lock. Stealth servo systems connected. Stealth engines at maximum. Quantum thrusters are go. Let's go, Stealth Voltron Force. This season really focused on investigating the origins of Voltron, but failed to really make much progress before the season ended. While there were reportedly plans for a third season and other new forms for the Lions to take through those dimensional portals, the animation company went bankrupt, bringing an end to this version of Voltron.
This series brings about a mixed bag of emotions. On one hand, Voltron and company were back. I remember when I first saw it, I was shocked. And many of them even had the same voice actors. Everyone's Voltron Force uniforms actually matched their lion colors, although they never got out of their uniforms. And the tone was more was a little bit more serious. They even got Bob Costas to do a play-by-play for Lance's stunt work in Episode 1. Now, that may have been a callback to the fact that one of the very first programs that was done by that independent TV station in St. Louis was called World Events, basically to pick up on the idea from Wide World of Sports, except this would cover more than just sports. Bob Costas was actually one of their first presenters or reporters, however you want to look at it, so maybe this was a callback for that. I don't know. But they got Bob Costas, which was cool. However, there were lots of changes made to this show that did not sit well with the fans. First off, the Castle of Lions looked just like a regular castle again. The early motion capture caused everyone to move slowly. And for an example, imagine you're being chased by space lice. Don't ask. But imagine you're being chased and you need to run as fast as you can. Well, on this show, everyone ran into light jog. Or that's all they could do. There's also video of a sword fight that's supposed to be a really good sword fight, but it's the slowest sword fight you'll ever see. It's really really terrible. Anyway, this motion capture also left everyone standing kind of awkwardly because they were not able to put their arms straight down, so everyone kind of had their arms out. There were still animation errors on the footage, despite the CGI, and some of it was even footage that got reused over and over again as stock footage, such as when the lions take off, the black lion's chest plate is completely upside down. During the Voltron formation sequence, Voltron's wings never formed. As I mentioned before, everyone wore the same outfit all of the time, even while sleeping or while they were retired in Episode 1, although Alora did manage to get a dress at some point. Also, they made changes to the characters for this series. Punk was now a very good mechanic, but not very bright otherwise. Pidge became a, a geeky super nerd, constantly developing new tech, while also making fun of Hunk's lack of intelligence. Keith became a by-the-book soldier, while Lance became a hothead, constantly challenging Keith and Amalgamus to the point that Keith actually pulled a gun on him at one episode. Alora allowed the Galaxy Alliance to dictate Voltron's actions despite it being a Rusian property. And Lotor, now that he was a cyborg, lost all of the suave factor he had in the previous series and just became an angry guy. Which is fitting considering they had Tim Curry. He brought a lot of darkness to them. Anyway, it wasn't all that bad. Uh, the scenes with the lions were great, and despite the wings not showing up, the Voltron formation sequence was awesome, especially with the music. And a lot of the, well, speaking of the music, a lot of the show's music was phenomenal, proven by the fact that the show won a, the 1999 Daytime Emmy for Outstanding Sound. I'm sorry, Sound Editing, Special Class. Uh, in fact, it, uh, since I started talking about it, I should have been included a bunch of the music from Voltron the Third Dimension, so you probably can hear it in the background here. Over the next decade plus, Voltron will return to comics from Devil's Due with a reboot of the Lion Force series, which would eventually also bring back Vehicle Voltron as well. Written by Dan Jolly, who at DC was also working on uh, the reboot of Firestorm, this series would be a much more mature version of the series and would play up the magic of the Lions and their mystical connection to the pilots. The next story involved the Lions being taken by the Galaxy Alliance and their tech being used to reverse engineer their own Voltron, which would be the Vehicle Voltron, returning for the first time since the 80s. This series would also connect Zarkon and Lotor as having been offshoots of the Drools to help solidify the whole connected universe idea. 
Unfortunately, the series only lasted a couple of years before the license ran out, but that's okay, because, this, because by this time the original series was finally being remastered and re-released on DVD. Apparently, Go Lion and Dai Ruger were already being remastered over in Japan for release on DVD, so they were able to get copies of that of the footage, work with it over here, and actually had to go through and re-edit the Go Lion or the Japanese stuff to match the edits from the Voltron series. And then the audio was okay because the audio was great. Although they did redo the stereo of it now that people had more experience and had to edit stereo audio. So basically, it's a new show, kind of. It's, it's really cool. First, the Lion Force series was released in a five-volume set of tens that resembled the five robot lions, including new artwork that looked like the anime but also was a little more modern, so it was a lot cleaner and brighter, and more modern. It looked really cool. The Vehicle Force series then came out in a three-volume set that looked like the three vehicle teams although they used more boxes for that than the tins. Then Go Lion was released in a three-volume set with subtitles. However, by this point, the company that was releasing these sets, Media Blasters, were running into delays. Each release was getting delayed more and more. And when it came time to release Die Ruger 15, they released fewer comp copies of each set. Volume 3 was extremely limited and almost impossible to find, causing it to be worth quite a lot of money on the collector's market. I personally had everything except for the third volume of Die Ruger, but I had put the Japanese series in a box in storage during the Christmas season one year, and our unit was broken into, and I lost all of it. I've been able to replace the Go Lion sets, but Die Ruger is gone, and I've only been able to find one volume of it available anywhere, and it's not expensive anymore, but I'm not sure if I want to just buy one volume. Anyway, 2011 saw Voltron re return to TV in Voltron Force. Evil is back. The Drool King Lotor has returned with a dark energy that can destroy the galaxy. Our only hope? The Voltron Force, a team of five heroic pilots that control five awesome robot lions. When Lotor's monstrous robot beasts attack, the lions come together to form Voltron, defender of the universe. would use a combination of CG animation for machinery and vehicles and traditional animation for people and aliens. This series acts like a sequel to the original series, completely disregarding Voltron the Third Dimension, but it soon appears that it takes place in an alternate timeline, as one episode actually takes place on Balto, which is not only still around, but still fully populated, and the series also sports an entirely new voice cast, one large enough for most of them to only have to voice one character. Giles Panton took over the role of Keith, Sam Vincent was Pidge, Andrew Francis was Lance, Ty Olson was Hunk, Ashley Ball was Alora, Mark Hildreth was Lotor, Ron Halder was both Koran and Mayhawks, which I'll get to, and Gary Chalk, 
another one of TV's Optimus Primes, was Sky Marshal Wade. The music for the show is mostly original, with some hints of the original theme thrown in during the transformation. Ready to form Voltron. It's time. Activate interlocks. Dinotherms connected. Infracells up. Mega thrusters are go. Let's go, Voltron Force. And the opening is a bit of a hip-hop tune that manages to turn Voltron into a verb. I wasn't a fan of it, but, you know, whatever. However, partway through the series, the transformation music was replaced with music from the original series. Activate interlocks! Dinotherms connected! Infracells up! Mega thrusters are go! Also, unlike the previous series, this would not be a syndicated show, and instead would run on Nicktoons. Ironically, while the series was created in HD, Nicktoons was a standard definition channel. I think it still is, if it's still Nicktoons. And it would only air in standard definition until the show ended up on Netflix a couple years later. Anyway, this series begins much like Voltron 3D, with Voltron finally defeating Lotor. However, during the victory parade, the Lions go berserk, leading Sky Marshal Wade, head of the Galaxy Alliance, to decommission them. He allows the red, green, blue, and yellow Lions to return to Eris but hangs on to their keys and takes the Black Lion to an undisclosed location. Allura returns to her royal duties on Eris, while Lance, Pidge, and Hunk assume new positions within Galaxy Garrison. Keith, however, hangs on to his Lion Key, disappears, and is branded a fugitive. An indeterminate amount of time later, Lance recruits two garrison cadets, Vince and Daniel, to help retrieve the keys. See, they've learned that Wade has been using the Black Lion to reverse engineer his own technological advancements, and that he's planning something big. Meanwhile, Keith finds the location of Black Lion and does a great Batman impersonation to steal it back from Wade. However, thanks to Wade's work on it, the Black Lion is not anywhere near 100%, so it takes some effort and time to get it back to Eris. In the meantime, Lance takes Vince and Daniel to Eris, where they meet Laura and her niece, Larmina, which means Laura has a sibling somewhere that we've never heard of before. And the three youngsters learn that they have been recruited as the newest members of the Voltron Force. They are given Voltcoms, which allow the members of the team to communicate with each other, and provides them with special energy weapons, depending on the wearer's body chemistry and fighting style. Keith gets an energy sword, or actually he gets two energy swords that look like Voltron's blazing sword. Allura gets an archery set, 
Lance gets big guns. Pidge gets throwing stars. Hunk gets a claw hammer. Larmina gets a energy staff that can also kind of turn into nunchucks. Daniel gets energy claws and the ability to move at super speed. And Vince's doesn't work for some reason. Oh, and elsewhere, a mad scientist named Mayhox and a drool commander Kayla use a purple form of energy called Hegarium to bring King Lotor back to life. Mayhox then uses the Hegarium to combine Kayla with a spider and turn it into a row beast. From here, everything converges at once. Keith gets black line to Eris, but it's an opera. While Pidge and Vince try to repair it, Wade's robot army invades Eris, requiring the return of the other four lions. Then Lotor and his forces arrive with the new Robies, so the lions focus on that while Keith and Larmina do their best to take on the robot army. Also, Wade sends his own remote-controlled robot lion to attack the other lions and the Robies. But the Robies is part spider, shoots some Hungarian webbing at the new lion, which ends up disconnecting Wade from it and his robot army. It then creates a Hungarian cocoon to surround it and the lion, which creates a, which causes it to kind of combine somehow. It's a bug thing, I guess. It becomes a whole new row beast. Fortunately, Vince's Voltcom creates these energy connectors that connect him to the Black Lion, and due to some connection he has with the, one of the planets that created Voltron, he's able to quickly repair and power up the Black Lion. All of our heroes converge and form Voltron, but the row beast Hagarium is draining Voltron of its power. But Vince is still connected to Black Lion, and he's able to give Voltron the power it needs to defeat the row beast. And over the course of the series, Vince's abilities also unlock the ability for the other robot lions to form the center of Voltron, giving the robot different weapons and abilities. Also combining him and Vince with the lions, it allows them to do a flash form, which allows them to form Voltron even faster. Also, the team tries to work to discover the origins of Voltron again, well, again, for this series, and learn that it was a combination of five planets that created Voltron, although they never learned the fifth planet before the end of the season. The series ends on a bit of a cliffhanger, and since the second season had been greenlit, this would not have been a big deal except that they could not secure enough funding to produce another season, so once again a Voltron series was cut short due to lack of money. However, a book all about Voltron was created for the 30th anniversary that supposedly includes a new story that resolves the plots from the show. However, since I don't have this book, I can't tell you much about it. Meanwhile, the comic license had been picked up by Dynamite, who did some very different types of stories. Rather than start over from scratch, they told stories from different parts of Voltron's history, including both before and well after any of the shows. Uh, which brings us to the current series, Voltron Legendary Defender. Finally, we get a reboot series brought to you by WEP and the fine folks at both Netflix and DreamWorks Animation. The series has been created by the crew that created Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. The idea behind the series is actually pretty simple. To create the Voltron, you think you remember. 
With an animation style that returns the series to its anime roots while also using CG animation for Voltron vehicles and Robeasts, the look of the show is very reminiscent of the original show while also looking very modern. The team went back and not only watched all of Voltron, but Go Lion as well, and as such, this series includes Easter eggs from both versions of the series. The big one of these is Sven, who is now Japanese rather than Swedish, and has been given the name Shiro as a callback to the character being called Shirogane in Go Lion. The cast consists of Josh Keaton as Shiro, Jeremy Shada as Lance, Bex Taylor-Klaus as Pidge, Stephen Yoon as Keith, Kimberly Brooks as Alora, Tyler Labine as Hunk, Reese Davies as Coran, who is hysterical. Hurry! We can't survive much longer! You've got to sell it a little bit more. <clears throat> oh no! Alora is dead! Oh! It's horrible! Her head fell off! Wait! What? Her severed head is trying to speak to me! What is it, Allura's head? What are your final words? Karan. Oh, yes, Princess, I'm listening. It's over. Oh, I know! Ah! If only Voltron had been formed! Oh, time? I guess this isn't an actual attack. And it's a good thing it wasn't, because it took you... Karan? 75 degrees! Oh, sorry, no, this is a meat thermometer. Neil Kaplan as Emperor Zarkon, yet another Optimus Prime with a major role on a Voltron show. Cree Summer as Hagar, and A.J. Locasio as Prince Lotor. I don't want to go too much into this series because it's still airing and is readily available on Netflix, and I don't want to spoil stuff. But, the series begins with Lance, Hunk, and Pidge as cadets at Galaxy Garrison. Keith used to be a cadet, but was kicked out. One night, a spaceship crash lands nearby and inside is Shiro. He'd been on an exploration team with Pidge's father and brother, but were taken by the Galra, who are the forces of doom. They were taken to be slaves and forced to fight monsters in the arena for amusement of the Galra and their leader, Emperor Zarkon. Somehow, Shiro escaped, but one of his arms has been replaced by it with a cybernetic arm full of Galra tech, and he's got a scar on his face and a tuft of white hair for some reason. He also has no memory of anything that happened after he was taken by the Galra. Anyway, the cadets and Keith end up linking up to save Shiro from the garrison troops while making their escape and find a cave with a large, blue robot lion. It's surrounded by a force field that only Lance seems to be able to walk through, and once he deactivates the force field, he picks up the others and the lion takes off, taking them through a wormhole into deep space where they go to the planet Eris. There, they meet up with Koran and Princess Alora, two Altaeans, Taya was the name of Eris on Goldline. And with the activation of the Blue Lion, they have awakened from being in the stasis for 10,000 years. Garan points out to them that they are light years away from Earth, and Alora tries to talk them into finding the other lions to save the universe from the Galra Empire, who has basically been in charge of at least this part of the universe for 10,000 years. Alora assigns each to a lion. Land stays with Blue, Hunk gets Yellow, Pidge gets green, Keith gets red, and Shiro gets black, giving them the uniform colors they received in the original show. They also get new uniforms, which kind of are a blend of the uniforms they had on the original show, but a little more armored up, like on Voltron the Third Dimension. Unfortunately, they are all on different planets, other than Black Lion, which is still in the castle. So after retrieving green and yellow, they find that Red Lion is on a Galra ship. They have to go get it back, which brings them to the attention of Emperor Zarkon. Keith gets the lion, but they, and they end up back on Eris and are under heavy attack 
when they final, finally manage to form Voltron and take out the attacking ships. Once they win, Voltron completely deforms and our series begins. The great mix of characterization, backstory, great voice acting, amazing animation, fun Easter eggs, and humor have made this series a must-watch and has helped bring Voltron back to prominence again. I highly recommend that if you have access to Netflix, please check out this series. You don't need to have seen any of the previous shows, but if you have, there's definitely some Easter eggs that will make you smile. And even for people that have seen the previous stuff, the creators are pretty good at zigging where you think they'll zag, keeping even the most hardcore fans on the edge of their seats. Seriously, check it out. Now you may have noticed I ha so far I haven't really mentioned the toys. The toys for Voltron are pretty weird. While the original toys can go for quite a high price, knockoffs of both Lion and Vehicle Voltrons are available, some of them looking pretty identical to the originals. However, in over 30 years, they never made a Robeast toy in scale with Voltron. Panache Place made figures of the human-sized characters, including the bad guys back in the 80s, and Trendmasters made updated versions in the 90s for Voltron the Third Dimension, although none were on model with, with the way that they looked on the show. Currently, Playmates has the license for Voltron toys, and they have made different versions of the Lions, including some that aren't able to become Voltron, and they're just the Lions with some weapons. They've made the Lion Pilots, known as the Voltron Paladins, and the Bad Guys. They've made a few Robeasts, and they've made smaller Voltron figures that are the same scale, so you can have your Voltron versus Robeast fights. Plus, they recently released their version of the classic Voltron Lions. You can have the original Voltron at the same scale as the new one. And over the last 10 or 15 years, with all the anniversaries that the series has had, uh, a company called Toynami has released and re-released and re-re-released what they call a Masterpiece Voltron, which is basically uh, looks like the original Voltron, focusing more on how it looks as a giant robot instead of how it looks as the Lions, but they combine to form Voltron. And... That costs you a lot of money because they put a lot of, it's high quality plastic or, and or uh, some die cast metal, a lot of extra compartments and extra pieces and paint. It looks really cool, but it's expensive. And lately they've also released a couple different versions by licensing fan-made toys that are, I haven't been getting great reviews, but still look cool. And then Bandai has released the me metallic version of the, of the original Go Lion with better articulation and all the weapons and even has a nice little metal plate on it uh, on the weapons rack that it comes with so you can either have it as go lion or voltron it's really cool the only series that hasn't that didn't get any toys is voltron force mock-ups were developed for the lions by mattel which had the license at the time pictures of which can be seen online and they're apparently on display at the wep offices but the show was canceled before the toy line actually went into production and with no show to support it it was also canceled. And on that disappointment, we've reached the end of the episode. Thank you all for listening, and tune in next time for commentaries on two Voltron episodes from different eras. See you then. You have been listening to Charlie's GeekCast. You can find the show at twotruefreaks.com and at charliesgeekcast.com, where you can find enhanced show notes that include extra images and or video links. You can also follow the show by joining the Facebook group. Just search for Charlie's GeekCast. Also, you can follow me on Facebook, or you can find me on Twitter at SuperChuck1980 or OrangeRanger198. Charlie's GeekCast is an I Don't Have a Fake Company name production. All images, music, and sound clips are copyright their respective copyright holders. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Charlie's GeekCast. Thank you for listening, and God bless. <laughs>